3: I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here as we are every weekday at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, whatever they happen to be. I've been receiving a bunch of them. Uh, We still prefer your live calls. 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll free at 877-630-KSLR, that's 630-5757. Or you can email your questions to questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free mobile app at Calvary Chapel, or you can send them in versus the uh, or using the KSLR mobile app. And by the way, that's the one that makes it much safer for you to do it while you're driving. If you want to call the studio direct and have your question live on the air, again three four zero ninety five eighty five because it's Wednesday tonight. First um, Samuel chapter three. It's a really important study. Something that I think we don't often consider enough, but it's that moment when Samuel is called. Here am I, he says to the Lord. And it's the one thing that we all ought to be saying to the Lord every single day. Here am I. Tomorrow, of course, Paula will be live in the studio with me on the Date Day edition. So ladies, that is your day uh, for uh, whatever is on your heart with Paula. If you need any encouragement, uh, we'd be happy to do it. Uh, Here is a question that we got from our email inbox uh, from Dot, and I'm really happy to be able to answer this question. Uh, Dot says, I often listen to Bungie Garrett of Calvary, South Austin. Can you recommend him and his church? I want to tell a friend in Austin about him. I listen to your program daily on the radio. Dot, thank you so much for listening to the program. God bless you. I happen to know, Dot, we share uh, some um, visual issues together. So uh, I'll be praying for you and you'll be praying for me. Uh, Bungie's actually a friend of mine and, and uh, I'm not objective, he's a good Bible teacher, but uh, he's a nut, he's just one of the biggest nuts in the world, he is a mountain of a man, he's a huge, huge man, uh, has this big, big, booming voice, he can be heard for miles it seems sometimes, uh, but he's a great guy, has a great heart, uh, he's sort of like, uh, he's, he's much younger than I am, he's, he's the age one of my sons could be, uh, but, but I mean, he's just the opposite of me. I'm quiet and don't get much volume. And, and Bungie's just funny. He's loud, but but in really, really good way. His heart is solid gold. He is a good Bible teacher. And I can recommend him. Paula and I have actually been to uh, Calvary South Austin to speak. The people there are great. Uh, it's not a huge church, so you're a friend, uh, would be welcome and uh, have opportunities uh, over and over to um, sort of get in, introduced to the people in the, in the, in the body. So uh, I can recommend Bungee highly. Uh, he is not normal. I just feel like I have to warn you about that as well. Here is a question. Let me get to this one from Nacho. And this is a question that comes from yesterday's program. Uh, it was sent right at the end of the program yesterday, and I didn't have the time to to address it. Uh, Pastor, on you just brought up elders. Are elders today not biblical? Are they a product of our Western style of governing? Um, Yes, Nacho, I think they are. It's not that they're not biblical. It's just that we've sort of redefined the word. Uh, Our elders, as I explained in the question yesterday here at Calvary Chapel, we called them elders, uh, but they're really sort of my board members. Um, And and the reason we call them elders is because a lot of churches have uh, board members who aren't local, who aren't part of the congregation. Um, I I want all of my uh, board members, my elders, to be local. They're people who know the people. They're invested in the people. They're invested in the work. Uh, I know them, their character. I know their gifts. Uh, And I also know that they are men who will uh, stand up to me if I sort of go goofy or if I go off the wall. So um, elders, as they're referenced in the pastoral epistles not the Jewish elders of Jesus time but in the pastoral epistles there that is a reference to what we call now pastors the the overseer of the church uh, the person who's in charge with the primary responsibility for for teaching uh, the, the Bible for being a shepherd of the people that God brings the the elders um, in the first century church were the overseers of the church so not you I hope that um, you know, it's one of the reasons, we, you know, we get questions a lot about the, the King James Version of the Bible, and people are very loyal to it, and that's a good thing, they should be loyal to it. But um, uh, we, we have some issues when the meaning of words change over a period of time. And uh, the word elders is one of those words that has changed over a period of time. here is a question from David from our email inbox. David asks, during the millennial reign, before the final judgment, what will we we be doing on the earth? Um, Let me answer these questions one at a time, because there's about uh, one, two, three, four of them here, or five of them, actually. Uh, David, during the millennial reign, uh, all we have is a very general job description. We will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. It's very important. It's not just hanging out. We're not going to be floating around on clouds. We're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Uh, we will, in somehow that I, I can't even understand, um, be assisting Him uh, in the establishment of justice, in the governing of disputes, those kind of things. Uh, we'll all be assigned our own territory, uh, but. Um, any more specific, the Bible just doesn't get more specific, but rest assured, we will be um, ruling and reigning with Jesus. Uh, The second part of the question, will there be marriage and relations, meaning sexual relations, like there are now? one of the things, David, that you've got to make a distinction, and when we get to the other questions, we'll see some of the, um, this is what I think, where the confusion comes in. Uh, we will not be able to be married when the rapture of the church happens. Uh, we who are believers will exchange, will shed these flesh and blood bodies, and will go to heaven and we'll be there for a period of seven years now it's a strange thing we're gonna be there seven years but we're gonna be outside of time and space for seven years because Jesus lives outside of time and space but we're gonna be taken from this earth we're gonna be up there for what is a period of time of seven years on the earth and we're gonna be married to Jesus well that'll be the marriage supper of the lamb uh, and all human relationships the, the relationships we have here on earth uh, will cease they will be richer, fuller, and better than ever, but they won't be married. The other thing is, between those of us on the, on the uh, who've been raptured to heaven, we have our physical glorified bodies, uh, there, there will no, no longer be sexual relations like there are now. Now, as I say that, I want to make a very clear distinction that the people that, when we come back with Jesus, Revelation chapter 19, we're coming back to an earth that's populated with humans. And there are going to be a lot of people, uh, multiplied millions of people that survived the Great Tribulation. They're all going to be in their flesh and blood bodies. We're going to be in glorified resurrected bodies, physical, but glorified resurrected bodies. They're all going to be in their physical bodies. And for a thousand years in a restored earth, you can only imagine how many people are going to populate the earth. It will be multiplied billions upon billions of people. Uh, in this near-perfect restored earth, that Jesus rules and reigns with our assistance on, those people in their flesh and blood bodies will be having babies. They will be. There will be marriage. Life will go on, only in a much more just and holy way. And and yes, there will be marriage, and there will be sex, there will be babies being born. In fact, Isaiah says that an infant will die at the age of 100, and um, uh, almost certainly that will be death as a result of judgment. Most everybody's going to live the full thousand years uh, in Jesus' restored earth. But uh, you can imagine the proliferation of babies during that time that only David between those who have flesh and blood bodies, those of us who are in our glorified resurrected bodies, no marriage, no sex, those who are in their physical bodies, there will be marriage and there will be sex. One of the great things about Jesus' thousand-year reign on earth is there won't be any sex outside of marriage. Those are the kind of things that people will get judged for. We'll be Jesus' instruments of judgment. But but sin will be dealt with quickly and surely. So the, the sex... By and large, the sex that happens on earth will be holy and within the confines of marriage or marriage between a man and a woman. And then David asks, what will the difference between be between that time and forever in heaven? Well, after the thousand years, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This earth is going to be destroyed. And that time... Uh, after the thousand years is what's described as forever we'll be with Jesus in eternity all of us outside of time and space uh, forever and ever and ever in heaven so the thousand years is literal uh, it's it's on this earth after Jesus uh, establishes his kingdom and then this earth melts away uh, Peter talks about that second Peter uh, after um, judgment has been rendered uh, then we will be with the lord forever and both a new heaven and a new earth His second question is during that same 1000 years or rather afterward it says satan will be released one last time before the final judgment why would anyone follow him if they're already in paradise and had chosen god beforehand well Satan is going to be released at the end of the thousand years, not for those of us, David, in our glorified, resurrected bodies. And again, that distinction, I keep making it because it's important for you to understand. Um, Those who are born in flesh and blood bodies, imagine over a thousand years, uh, the people that are born during that time, they will never have had a chance to choose Jesus. They will be forced to serve Jesus. They'll be forced to live in a perfect near paradise, they'll be forced to obey, they'll be forced uh, to to do exactly what they're told to do, without ever having had to make a personal choice of their own free will. And the reason Satan is going to be let loose is to deceive those people, going to give them a chance, a choice, just like uh, Adam and Eve had a choice and they made the wrong one. And the Bible says, Isaiah, uh, the, the, the numbers of people that are going to be deceived are described as like the numbers of sands of grain on all the seas in the world uh it's not literal but that is descriptive of multitudes and multitudes too numerous to count um people that are going to be deceived and david the, the reason that this is all going to happen is because uh god is going to make one final statement about sin the problem has always been sin The problem is not environment The problem isn't injustice, the problem isn't your parents or how you were raised, the problem is that in the human condition, in our flesh and blood bodies, we want to sin. The problem is sin, the problem has always been sin, and God is going to prove it by letting Satan loose. That's when that time when people will have to make a choice between Jesus and the lies of the devil. Those that choose Jesus will then shed their physical bodies and get glorified, resurrected bodies like the rest of us, those who um, choose Satan uh, are going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. The reason people will follow him is because we like to sin. And finally, he says, does this mean that our time in that paradise isn't a sure thing, um, if we can still be led astray afterwards? David, again, the distinction here is important between glorified body and physical body. uh, The people who are um, in their physical bodies are going to make choices every day. But you and I in our glorified resurrected bodies at the time of the rapture of the church, our sin nature is going to be completely moved from us. Uh, we, we've made our choice. It's a once-forever choice, and we'll never again be tempted to stray. We'll never again um, give in to sin. Uh, we have the security of being in the presence of the Lord, and it's a whole new order of things. No more pain, no more grief, no more temptation, no more messing up. So when we are raptured, when Jesus comes for his church, that kicks off the Great Tribulation, from that moment forward, David, we will never again have to worry about messing up, being led astray, or anything else. So, David, thank you for the questions. Those are really thoughtful questions, and I appreciate them very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app, from Mick. Uh, Question one. All these kings of Judah who started out with a desire to do right in the eyes of the Lord, but then failed to finish the race as the years of their rule went on, do you think those kings are in heaven? Uh, Nick, first I'll deal with this question before going to the other one. But um, Of the kings of Judah, there were only a few that were good kings only a few that had a heart after god and and you're right they they all have errors they all didn't finish as well as they started and i think that's just sort of a comment on the human condition i also want us to be fair Um, these kings men like david um, kings like uzziah and and hezekiah some really really good kings um, they didn't have the holy spirit living in them to govern their behavior They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them to convict them. They had only the law. And the law, by its very nature, to our flesh, makes us want to do the things that we know we're not supposed to do. The the law was designed to point us to Jesus, our need to be saved. And so these kings, their hearts were right with God, and it's a good thing. But it's like our saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's why they sort of, after a long period of time, failed to finish the race as well as they started. Um, So yes, they will be in heaven. They believed God, just like Abraham, just like David. They believed God and they were credited as righteous by looking forward to the promises of God to the Messiah. But make no mistake, most of the kings, even of Judah, uh, were bad kings and will not be in heaven. Second question, Uh, Was there even one king of Israel, the northern kingdom, who was good? The answer to that one is no. The first one he started out, it sounded like he had a lot of promise. He kind of started out like King Saul, Um, um, but he blew it. So no, there wasn't a king of Israel, the northern kingdom, who was good. I remember Jay Vernon McGee one time in one of his programs, saying, uh, "If you're ever given a test on the kings of of the two kingdoms, North and South, and they want to know how many of them were good, um, all you have to do is guess. 85 percent of them were bad, and that's pretty much a, a good rule of thumb." So, Mick, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety is a question from our mobile app from Lewis. He says, Pastor would you explain the difference? between Abraham's bosom and heaven and Hades and hell. Uh, and if an unsaved person dies today, do they go to Hades or hell? If Hades, does hell come later? If so, when? Uh, the difference between Abraham's bosom uh, and, and Hades. Now, I don't like the term Hades because it's sort of a catch-all phrase, uh, Lewis. Uh, Abraham's bosom, Luke chapter 16, gives us, gives us the picture of those two compartments. Uh, in the abyss that's what it was in the abyss Uh, one of those places was a place of torment Uh, that's often referred to as Hades or hell but it's just kind of a holding cell where people are in torment Abraham's bosom or paradise on the other hand was on the other side of a gulch a gulch that was too wide to travel back and forth across but it was a place called paradise Jesus said to the thief on the cross today you will be with me in paradise that's exactly what he meant So the difference between Abram's bosom or paradise and Hades and hell is the difference between uh, comfort and torment. Now, heaven is completely different. Heaven, um, Paul talks about a trip to the third heaven, and by that he's not talking about the outer atmosphere, outer space. He's talking about the dwelling place of God. And that's not a place that anybody goes to uh, until, or at least before Jesus died, that anybody goes to um, uh, until Jesus um, set the captives free. So heaven is, is the dwelling place of God, where Paul went in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, not a vision, he actually went there, he was dead, he was taken to heaven, he was shown around, uh, sent back because he had work to do so heaven is the presence of jesus wherever god the father and and god the, the the son dwells that's where heaven is and obviously it's a place out there up there however you want to characterize it um the second question if an unsafe person dies today do they go to hades or hell uh if hades does hell come later the answer to that question is yes they go to the abyss they go to the place of torment Again, I don't like the phrase Hades because it confuses people, especially in this age where there are people who simply don't believe in the concept of hell. Uh, They go to a place of torment. If an unsafe person dies today, that compartment that you see the rich men in in Luke chapter 16 is still full of people still being tormented, waiting for the final day of judgment. That's what hell is. The Bible Revelation describes it as the lake of fire. So Lewis, they go to place of torment. After the thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible tells us that death in Hades is delivered to the Lord. That's where they're stamped in judgment at the great white throne judgment, and that's that they're cast into the lake of fire, which we would all describe as hell, where they will spend forever and ever and ever in torment. Jesus described it as the place where the worm doesn't die, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If an unsaved person dies today, they go to the place of torment, later to be escorted to the great white throne judgment and to be cast into the lake of fire. The good news, Lewis, and of course you know this now, is that the people who die now are in Christ go instantly into the presence of the Lord. Uh, our, our, our The real you, the, the person inhabiting the tenth of our physical bodies, the real you goes right into the presence of the Lord. And What a glorious moment that will be. Well, Lewis, thank you for the question. I hope that answers your question we're under four minutes let me see if i have a under four minute question um here's a question from billy let me tell you the number again because we like phone calls 340-9585 billy says do you believe that we are in the last days if so if so how should believers prepare Uh, billy by definition we're in the last days uh, the last days, theologically, uh, began at the ascension of Jesus from the earth. After his four days teaching his disciples, uh, 500 people at once saw him ascend into the heavens. Uh, and, and that was sort of the kickstart of the last days. Uh, so we are in the last days. Now, I think what you mean in your question, are we in the very last of the last days? Um, I have to be kind of cryptic here uh, because nobody knows, but I hope so. I mean, I hope so. I hope we are. I hope that Jesus is coming soon. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to be with him. At the same time, I understand, I hope everybody in this audience understands, that because he could come at any moment, it makes the work here more urgent. It's left for us to do. Paul said that we're to make the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. I will add, because the days are short. Now, the problem with Jesus coming soon, we expect it like next week or something, Uh, it could be another 2,000 years, it could be another 10,000 years, we don't know. But here's the way we prepare for that, is to live every day as though we could see Him today but also to live every day occupied with the work that he said before us in case the most likely case that he doesn't come today you know i think there's just too much of an emphasis now this is hard for me even to say because uh, my whole life is focused on that moment when i'm going to see the lord but i think there's too much emphasis on jesus rescue us from this place get us out of here um instead of i want to be with you lord and this emphasis of get us out of here let us escape this world that we live in let me escape all the problems of this world Uh, I think it it sort of stifles um, our initiative to do the work that's why the Apostle Paul had to write to the church at Rome never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord it's so important that we keep our spiritual fervor and Billy that's how we prepare It's the only way we can prepare. Every day, we should be earnestly engaged in telling people about Jesus. Every day, we should be asking the Lord for opportunities to share our faith. Every day, we should be asking God to set up some divine appointments uh, for people who, if they died today or if Jesus came today, they wouldn't go to be with Him. So yeah, I I know theologically we're in the last days, uh, probably... It's not the last, last, last days, but we should live like it is. Billy, thanks for the question. You've been listening to The Word to Santa for Life. We've got 30 minutes left in the program Would Love Your Life calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: Were to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back to the second half of the wednesday program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions quick reminder ladies tomorrow is your day Paula will be live in the studio it's her show but it's your day and she'll be here to encourage or help answer any questions that you have uh, on the program tomorrow. Here is a question from um, Ted. Ted says, "I read where the Holy Spirit is active in both the Old Testament and New Testament. Did Old Testament figures have the same Holy Spirit we do?" Um, Ted, I'm going to I'm going to make careful careful with the words, so listen carefully. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't change, so yes, they had him or it was the same holy spirit in both old testament new testament but they didn't have him in the same sense that that he was in them Uh, it was jesus the resurrected jesus that um, breathed on his disciples and said receive ye the Holy Spirit of God and John goes on to explain for he had not yet been given so the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament was uh, pretty straightforward in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit came upon people to perform great feats of strength the judges uh, Samson and, and, and many many others the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets the Holy Spirit would come upon uh, Moses the Holy Spirit would come upon them Uh, to enable them to do what God asked them to do but they didn't have him in a personal sense so he would come upon them and then they would sort of be on their own now these were men that loved God and women who loved God but at the same time uh, without the Holy Spirit living in us um, the Holy Spirit uh, poured out his love into our hearts Um, they, they, they couldn't love God in the same sense that we did david we we know was a man after god's own heart but david didn't have the same understanding of personal relationship that we are able to enjoy in the new testament so um the holy spirit was active in both testaments to be sure but but in a far different way and we who are new testament heroes you know we read hebrews chapter 11 and we often think oh man i'd love to have those kind of miracles i'd love to have that kind of faith Um, truth is any one of those Old Testament heroes would have changed places with us in an instant I mean if I could have talked to Moses face to face and said would you rather see God and have your face shine and then have it fade away or would you have God living in you the hope of glory he would have said wow I want that Uh, that's the the relationship we have with God the Holy Spirit it's Holy Spirit who, who is the person of Jesus, another comforter, Jesus described him as, living in us, who's promise never to leave us or forsake us. We have a sense of security because of that spirit. Uh, he's in us as a guarantee, sealing our inheritance. So, um, same Holy Spirit, to be sure, but different relationships with him. So, Ted, I hope that answers your question. Here is a couple of pretty important questions here, I think, um, kind of related. William first says, is it possible to be a Christian and not believe the Bible is inspired? William, it is possible. Uh, I, I honestly don't think that anybody who gets saved gets saved and believes instantly that the Bible is inspired. I don't think it's possible for us to do that without the active work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So um, it is possible to be a Christian. Uh, When I got saved, I had no clue about the Bible. I'd never opened the Bible. I didn't have any background at all in it. I'd only been to church a couple of times, dragged by my grandmother, and I didn't get any of it. So I had no background. and yet as Christ came in me in the person of the Holy Spirit uh, there began this hunger for the things of God and it, with that hunger came a curiosity one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is the, this sense of curiosity that we have to have when, when God calls us to say here I am it's it's only as a sense of curiosity so uh, that sense of curiosity there's questions that come up and then that the, the curiosity leads you to ask those questions and people start saying well the Bible says and just naturally. You have to start wondering, Well, what is this Bible? And 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 it begins this relationship with God as he reveals himself to us in and through his word. Very, very important. So it's possible you're a Christian. Now, it's impossible William to be a fruitful Christian and not believe the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. It is impossible to bear fruit apart from believing that the Bible is Word of God. That's why you see in so many denominations that just sort of trash the Bible. There's a whole bunch of Christians uh, professing Christians, and, and the, there's just no fruit in their lives, there's no joy. They live fairly carnal lives, and they live uh, according to their own logic. They make decisions based on what seems right to them. Now, whether they're real Christians or not is only known to them and to God. But it's impossible to be fruitful without believing that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So, William, um, dig in, find out. If you're if you're asking this question for yourself, and I've shared this on this program many, many times, so I'll be very, very brief, but that was the one thing that changed my life. Um, being a logical person, asking all these questions, having everybody tell me, the Bible says, the Bible says... Uh, I had to know if the Bible—if the Bible is what everybody's basing their faith on—how do I know that the Bible is true? I couldn't understand how it could be written by men and written by God. So I made it my purpose in life to find out. Some people spend a lifetime trying to figure it out. For me, it was just shortly, uh, just a little under three months, and I was so convinced. And I remember that day very well. I was in the Claremont School of Theology in a, in a, library, a, a library room all by myself, books stacked everywhere, and for almost three months I've been chasing all these questions and trying to get answers to all these things, and there came a moment when it was like Jesus was sitting in that room with me, looking at me saying, convinced yet? And I just knew. And William, it was that moment which changed my life. Since that moment, I've never had a single doubt about my salvation. Since that moment, I've never had a single doubt about the veracity of the Word of God. I've never felt lost or unable to find direction in a difficult trial. It's the most important thing any Christian can do. After we receive Christ, we've got to find out if God gave us His Word or if He did not. If He did not, then we're all lost. If you did, you better get on board. Hope that helps. 340 let's go to Alan calling from San Antonio. Hi, Alan. Thanks for calling.
4: Hi. Hi, Pastor Ron. This is Alan, the Muslim friend. How are you today?
3: I'm doing well. Sorry we couldn't get back to you yesterday, Alan.
4: Oh, uh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I just have the, I uh, will continue today. Um um, I know that I, I really uh, asked you, if, you know, to give the Quran a chance and just read it, and you definitely rejected the idea because you think that the Bible is more uh, of uh, the Word of God than the Quran, and and that you have the truth because you claim that Jesus died in the grave, died and rose. But the thing is that it's written large in the Bible that he did not die, and I'm telling you why. Because the Muslims believe, God told us in the Quran, that he did not die. Actually, God saved him from the disgrace of the cross because the cross was a Roman punishment, capital punishment, that a person will die, die. slow death. Uh, and the sun, that birds can eat from his body, animals can, uh, uh, insects can eat from his body, so God saves it. Now, what I'm telling you from the Bible, you can check it out yourself, in Matthew 12 to 30, uh, 39 to 40, that actually the Jews came to him and he told, they told him that they, they, he needs to show them a sign, which, in another words, a miracle. And he told them, a wicked generation, an adulterous generation, ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, the prophet Jonah, he stayed in the the bill of the fish three days and three nights. And guess what? Was he alive or was he dead? Absolutely, he was alive for three days. He even prayed in the bill of the fish. And he said in 40, he said, as for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so as the Son of Man, meaning himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the, of the, of the earth. Now, if Jesus died, it would not be a sign and it would not be a miracle. It has, Jesus has to be alive to fulfill that, that, that uh, 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 sign or miracle that he told the people. The only miracle, the only sign will be given to them is the sign of Jonah will be in the bill of the fish three days and three nights, and so and is the Son of Man, meaning himself. So God saved him from the disgrace of the cross and the punishment of the cross, that it's unbelievable that the prophet of God or messenger of God, a holy man, will be naked on the cross, uh, getting punishment slapped and kicked and stabbed and, and all these things. And even even though Jesus asked for help, he asked, El, like, El, like, And do you think that God would actually tell him, Okay, no, uh, you don't matter nothing to me. Uh, I'll just, um, uh, you know, you die for the for other people that actually commit sin every single day.
3: So okay, Ellen, let me, let, let, yeah, l- 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 let me address this, please. And again, I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully um um, i I want you to examine some of this i do realize it is actually from surah 4 where the the muslim the quran teaches that that uh, muslims believe that jesus is a prophet of god ascended bodily alive into heaven uh, that he did not die he only appeared to do so there's so many problems with that we know that on the cross a roman soldier thrust his spear into Jesus' heart, and the blood, or the 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 water, came rushing from him. The water, the blood of life. Um, we know that he was dead. They didn't break his legs as they normally break legs. And here's the real issue you have to deal with, Alan. And I understand theologically where you're coming from. Uh, this is what the Quran says, and this is why, by the way, I cannot believe in the Quran. The 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 death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are three of the most heavily attested to events in the history of our world. There is no historical, seriously historical scholar who would doubt that Jesus lived, who would doubt that he died, died, and then, who would doubt, based on the evidence, that he rose from the dead? That's the reason that his followers, when they went out to the tomb on the third day, said, "He's alive." And Jesus told them, "Don't cling to me, tell me to Mary Magdalene, don't cling to me, for I still have to go to my Father and your Father." So clearly, Jesus was alive. They killed him on the cross. Incidentally, it's a, a method of of Death that wasn't even invented at the time the Old Testament prophets predicted it and predicted it with precise accuracy. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies, but he didn't stay dead. And I would suggest to you, Alan, that's the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all is his resurrection from the dead, the first fruits. You also then need to go in beyond the Gospels, all of the teaching on the resurrection. Paul says if if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are to be pitied more than all people. So the inspired writings of the Bible give absolute proof that Jesus died. One other thing that I want to comment about Jonah. I actually believe uh, your version of Jonah in the sense that My personal belief is that Jonah did not die, uh, that he was alive in the in the belly of the fish uh, for the three days that he was there. Um, But there are probably more Christian scholars. Uh, who believe that jesus or that jonah died in that in the belly of the fish and was raised to life uh, by god for the particular purpose of delivering the message of of freedom for nineveh but but whether or not jonah jesus just saying the sign of jonah three days as he was in three days and three nights in the in the in the belly of the fish so too will the son of man be in the earth that was understood uh, in a jewish culture to be death now, one final thought, and then I really want you to really kind of consider this. It wasn't that the Father said that, no, I don't care about you, as you, you kind of characterized. You know, Jesus asked for help, of the Father, oh, I mean, you're not that important to me kind of thing. It was just that the Father in heaven considered you, Alan, and I'm going to make this very personal, the Father in heaven considered you more valuable to him than Jesus. In the parable of the pearl of great price in Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus said, when the merchant found one pearl, when the king who sent this merchant found one pearl, he sold everything he had and got One person was considered so valuable to God the Father that he was willing to sacrifice his son. And that's how we get to heaven by believing in the goodness of God, not in the fear of God. Of course, we will have a holy, filial fear of God, Alan, but, but, but just with gratitude, God, you delivered me from my sins. You sacrificed your own son. When he asked you for help, you said no, not because you weren't valuable to him, not because Jesus didn't matter, but because you and I, Alan, we mattered more and that's the message of hope that's the gospel message and and to believe that jesus didn't really die it puts you in a position as a muslim of sort of spinning the same story that the jewish religious leaders tried to tell you know uh... uh, when, when they spread the the rumor that that his disciples came and stole the body the fact that jesus lived that he died and that he was raised to life is beyond any historical doubt at all and that's what renders the passage in surah in your quran it renders all of the teachings of the quran false it doesn't mean they're not good it doesn't mean there's not some great things but what it means is that only the bible is the true word of god alan thank you very very much i appreciate you calling back today i was really hopeful that you would. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is another important question about the Bible. This one comes from Jesse. Um, He says, I believe the Gospels are true, but not the letters written by Paul, Peter, etc. Why don't the epistles quote Jesus like the Gospels do? it would be easier to believe that they did and isn't it true that paul often just gave his opinions rather than quoting jesus as evidence in first corinthians chapter 7 verse 25 um, and you know something just came up on my screen so i want to do this this is for for bruce who called yesterday uh bruce the the, the in the middle of the night came i meant to do this at the top of the program i'll get right back to jesse's question in a minute the verse you were looking for yesterday, I think, is Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, um, where Paul says, to be found in him in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So, Bruce, um, I, I think that's the one that you were looking for. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, I want to read this very quickly. Paul says, "I've got the wrong. I've got what I'm doing here? Hold on, just one second. First Corinthians seven twenty-five. That's what I had. I thought. Well, I'll, I'll deal with that, and then I can do that." oh here it is verse 25 he says he's talking about marriage and virgins and how to deal with them. he says now about virgins i have no command from the lord but i give a judgment as one who by the lord's mercy is trustworthy that is not uh, jesse paul giving his opinion um that is is paul writing under the inspiration of god and paul exercising his apostolic authority that was given to him by god so it's not an opinion now, here's the problem, uh, people like you, Jesse, who believe in only the Gospels, we call them red-letter Christians, they call themselves red-letter Christians, the only thing that matters are the words that were written by Jesus, and that's because they have no understanding, uh, Jesse, of the, the, the way the Bible was constructed, they have no understanding of the, the majesty and the inspiration and the, the supernatural nature of the Bible. We've got the apostles, Paul and Peter and James and John and others who are writing. But remember, in the Gospels, the reason Jesus is quoted so often is because Jesus. the Gospels are a biography of Jesus. If I was doing a biography of your life and putting it in writing, Jesse, I would quote you a lot. Peter, Paul, James, uh, Jude, the others who who are, are New Testament writers in the epistles, in the Book of Acts, Luke, and others, uh, they're just recording history. They're recording inspiration. They're dealing with real. Uh, they're just recording history. They're recording inspiration. They're dealing with real life situations, and they talk clearly a lot about Jesus. They explain who he is, but they don't quote him. Um, Because they're not gospel. I mean, they're not biographies. So to say that Peter and Paul, and they did occasionally quote Jesus. Um, In fact, Paul says it was Jesus who said it's uh, more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, That's not found in the Gospels. It's found only in, in Paul's writings. So my point is simply this. To be consistent intellectually. To be honest intellectually. We have to look at the Bible as a whole. Old Testament knew Jesus, of course, um, codified the inspiration of the Old Testament. He quoted from it often. He knew it was Scripture. He claimed it was Scripture. So, um, as He taught from the Scriptures, as He gave us the Scriptures in the New Testament after He was dead and resurrected, it's really important that we understand the purpose and the nature of the book. And the reason that red-letter Christians don't like the epistles is because it's in the epistles that the rational, practical instructions for living are. All the do this and don't do this. And because Paul writes, for instance, in our study last week in Romans chapter 1, about homosexuality as being indecent and the perversion, we just find it easier to discount what he said. Again, Paul wasn't just giving his opinion in First Corinthians 7.25. He was exercising his apostolic authority. He was God's messenger. Paul, Peter, James, Luke, John, James, uh, uh, they, they were the Lord's messengers. And they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So study, Jesse. Read them. It's not okay to say, I believe the Gospels are true, and discount the rest of the Bible. It's just not okay. It's not okay to live a lifestyle that is inconsistent with the holy life that God requires. It's not okay. Very important for you to understand. Three four zero ninety. Wow, well, we only got three minutes. we have got a phone call here waiting, so this will be the last one. Stan in Lockhart. Stan, thanks for calling and thanks for holding. you on the air.
2: Oh, hey Pastor Ron, I just want to say first off, God bless you. I love your show. Uh, Thank you. I had a quick question. Uh, I've been reading a lot. I'm trying to balance, you know, between New Testament and Old Testament, and one of the questions I have is, I guess for 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 Christians, you know, like for me personally, is like. Recurring sin, right? Like sin that I struggle with, and then it's like, okay, I'm good, all right? and then I then I mess up, you know, a couple of times, yep. and then so uh, the, the, the 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 prodigal son. So my question is, like, and I know this sounds maybe bad, but anyway, it's like. How many times, I know there's no number in the Bible, I know Jesus said 70 times 7, but it's like, I wonder, mm-hmm. what I've been feeling in my heart is like, how many times could that prodigal son come home, and how many times would that father mm-hmm. forgive him? You know what I mean? Before, I, you feel like, well, maybe, I know God's not through with me, but I feel like, like you know what I mean? Like, how, how do I yeah, yeah keep like, moving forward?
3: yeah I understand the question. we went through two minutes so I'm going to do this quickly, but but i'm going to, I'm going to be complete too. first John one nine you need to memorize it if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins, and he will purify you from all unrighteousness. So here's the, this is always a matter of the heart. you know for the person who sins and then runs to Jesus says, well, I know I sinned, but it's no big deal because you'll forgive me. That's not a heart that's repentant. but somebody like you who when you mess up, uh, it breaks your heart. You hate it. And, and you feel like, oh, I've disappointed you again, Lord. No, what God wants you to do is accept his forgiveness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. So accept his forgiveness. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And stand what you're experiencing when you mess up is condemnation from the enemy. Conviction always drives you to the Lord. Condemnation drives you away from the Lord. That's how you can tell. So there's no limit to the times you can you can mess up. And if you're genuine and sincere in asking for forgiveness, God washes away your sins and you get to start over. So here's what you do to keep moving forward is you accept his forgiveness and walk closer to Jesus every day. Remember, when you make that choice to sin, it's a choice you don't have to make. One final thing, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Stand, read it and memorize it. You'll love it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 3, Paul, alive and studio with me in the edition tomorrow. We'll see you then. God bless you.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arball.